Welcome to another episode of the Wealth Journal podcast with me, Jay Hardy, and this is episode 10. I cannot believe we've done 10 episodes of the podcast. I've been doing this for 10 weeks. Where has the time gone? Unbelievable. My plan was to do five episodes. That was my initial goal. We're now on 10. So I'm going to keep going. Everybody seems to be enjoying the Wealth Journal. Keep getting plenty of messages throughout the week. So keep that coming. And this week, I'm just going to dive straight in to point one. And this is a little bit of a continuation from last week where I talked a lot about Bitcoin, but setting up your first crypto account. Actually, before I dive straight into that, I need to, um, I forgot my financial advice disclaimer. This is, of course, not financial advice. This podcast episode is purely here for educational and informational purposes. I do not make any recommendations, whether it comes to stocks or cryptocurrencies, um, if you do want financial advice, of course, speak to a professional, a financial advisor or an investment professional. Phew. So I don't want to cover old ground here, but the first thing I suggested last week was to set up a brand new email address. And this is purely to be used for your crypto accounts. Don't use it for anything else. Don't use it to sign into um, some other sort of shopping account or newsletters elsewhere. You want to try and keep this solely for your crypto trading account. And ideally, you have a separate email for each crypto exchange you, you set up. But let's say you're just going to focus on one exchange for now. So set up a brand new email address. The one I suggested was one called Proton Mail, and they offer a free basic account. They're based out in Switzerland. They use um, encrypted email very secure. So you want to go for a secure email, set a brand new one. Next, you're going to want to create an account on an exchange. So an exchange is basically a marketplace where you can buy and sell crypto, similar to, you know, like a trading 212, but but for crypto. You can do this on eToro. Um, but one that I use and continue to use are Coinbase, SwissBorg, and sometimes Binance. Now, Coinbase is very easy to use. SwissBorg, in my opinion, is probably even easier, and Binance is a little bit more sort of involved. But there are others, um, and like I say, I find SwissBorg really easy to use. It's got very low trading fees. Coinbase, it's got some great educational content on there. I can't knock that, and it allows you to earn free crypto when you take some of their courses, which is which is quite useful. Um, but the fees can be quite high with Coinbase, just a word of uh, word of warning. Uh, but I do still trade on Coinbase. So sometimes there's, there's coins available on Coinbase which aren't available on SwissBorg and vice versa. Now, it's easy to get an account set up with your new email address on all of these platforms. And they all have smartphone apps which allow you to basically buy crypto in minutes. There's a couple of other steps that I also recommend you don't skip when setting up a new account. You'll likely need to verify your account and also set up um, two-factor verification. And there's there's apps that you can use. I recommend using apps rather than SMS text messaging. The one I use is called Authy, um, and I'll provide links in the descriptions so you can you can find out all these the places and locations of all these useful tips and tricks. So you set up on an exchange and you're ready to start buying some coin. Now you can deposit your fiat money, and we covered what fiat money was last week, via bank transfer or using a bank card. 
Transfers tend to be the cheapest and have lower fees. And I would imagine that most people's first crypto purchase would likely be Bitcoin. And you're probably thinking, Jay, stop there. There's not a chance I can afford a £40,000 plus Bitcoin. Well, don't worry about that. Satoshi Nakamoto, who you remember wrote the white paper for Bitcoin, he thought of that. So Bitcoin is divisible by eight decimal places and therefore you can buy as much or as little as you can afford starting from pretty much one pound. Now the trading fees on Coinbase would also be one pound if you did that transaction. So it wouldn't really make sense. So maybe you want to make sure that you're buying, you know, a decent amount of crypto for your first purchase just to sort of get around them fees and make it worthwhile. But they are divisible. And that's pretty much the same for most cryptos. They are divisible. So you've bought you've bought your coin, which is now sat in your trading account. And this is where crypto can get a little bit funny. And it depends on who you speak with and they'll offer you up different opinions in terms of how you should store your crypto. Remember, crypto security concerns are a real risk and lost crypto is hard to get back, if not impossible. Transactions cannot be reversed and therefore storing crypto is something that does require a little bit of thought and attention. And as I mentioned on the previous podcast, it's things like this that just make crypto a little bit tricky and can potentially limit its uh, its adoption in its current format. But I think that'll change. But it's pretty easy to navigate. So there are a few options in terms of storing your crypto. Option one is that you can keep your crypto on an exchange, i.e. just leave it in your trading account. No problem. Number two, you can store it in something called a wallet. And these tend to be digital wallets, pretty much based on applications. Number three, you can keep it in cold storage or in an offline wallet. And this is a bit like a USB where you can store your crypto offline away from the internet. Now, each of these offers different risk levels and the crypto maximalists out there will tell you that keeping your crypto on an exchange is the worst thing you can do. This is because in the crypto ideology, it's all about decentralization and cutting out third parties. And when you store crypto on an exchange, the exchange still technically holds all your crypto private keys. And the rule goes, not your keys, not your crypto. You're basically putting your trust into the exchange. So if Coinbase got hacked, for example, someone could technically take all that crypto. They could take your crypto. Or if the government's decided to shut down, confiscate or ban crypto from Coinbase, then in theory, they would take your crypto. If you store it on a, in your own wallet, you effectively then hold all the private keys to your crypto. And if anything like that were to happen, of course, you're limiting the risk. Now, the only problem is when you store crypto in your own wallet, you're then responsible for your own private keys, which means if you lose them, then unfortunately you're not going to be able to get access to your crypto. So when you're setting up a wallet, whether it's a online wallet or an offline wallet, you'll likely be given something called a seed phrase. And these tend to be 12 randomly generated words, which will help you if you ever lose your private keys or lose access to your wallet, help you recover that wallet. So they're very important. So it's worth writing these down and storing them in a very safe place. People use safety deposit boxes, safes, somewhere very safe that you're not going to lose. And maybe you use multiple locations to do this. Um, you know, 
say, storing them in your house is risky because what if your house was to burn down? Things like that. So you've got to try and make sure there's different copies located in different places. So again, make sure you are saving it in the most secure way. And of course, if you lose one copy, maybe there's another one nearby that's spare. There's people out there that have lost access to their crypto worth millions and millions of pounds. You don't want to be that person. Now, for me currently, I'm not a crypto millionaire. So it's uh, it's something that I'm you know conscious of. And I do store my crypto in a digital wallet at the moment. I, I use a couple of different ones. The Coinbase has a great wallet. There's one um, that's also called Exodus Wallet. That's really good. So again, I'll put the links into the descriptions of the podcast and you can check them out. Point two is Peloton. Now, I've covered Peloton briefly on this podcast when talking about my own personal portfolio. And Peloton was one of the successes from my portfolio when I bought the stock back in March 2020, um, as obviously the pandemic hit and everyone was staying at home and having to exercise at home. Since then, the price went pretty much to the moon. Um, I think I bought around about $28 and the price went as high as $160. Now, I think it's hovering around about $46. So why is that? Well, I've done a little bit of research and it looks like the company's financial position has changed a lot in the last few months. And also their performance has significantly altered, I guess, since 2020. And 2021, and certainly the last few months of 2021, have been a little bit tricky for the company and that's been reflected in their share price. As an investor, obviously, that's not great news. Now, looking at some of the detail, I've noticed that their cash reserves have gone down. Their debt to cash ratio is now pretty much equal. And looking at the numbers a little bit more, it does paint a bit more of a negative picture. Now, the Grog's profit on their bikes and treadmills continue to increase pretty much every year. However, for the last three months of 2021, they've actually been falling and the biggest drop has been in the last few months. And we've also recently seen Peloton cut prices of their fitness uh, fitness equipment quite aggressively and this has suggested to me that they are struggling to to sell them and that's that kind of makes sense okay let's face it they did incredibly well in 2020 when gyms were closed and now things thankfully have been getting back to normal people can can go back to the gyms it doesn't surprise me that the sales have started to have started to go down but in their latest reports they're also are some indicators that their brand value has taken a little bit of a hit. In the past three months, their sales and marketing spend has been up almost 150% versus the same period last year. And last year, their products were flying. But yet, the sales have gone down. So that just suggests to me that the brand probably isn't as strong as, well, as what it has been. So it's a bit concerning. So what am I going to do about it? Well... Previous on this podcast, I've talked about jumping in and out of the market and the risk involved when it comes to buying and selling stocks. And you only really realize them them losses when you actually make a decision to sell. Now, for me at the moment, I'm actually still in profit when it comes to Peloton. But obviously, I missed an opportunity when they hit the $160 mark to potentially sell and really maximize my gains. But I didn't. So... At this stage, obviously the price has gone down. For me, it doesn't make up a huge portion of my portfolio. It doesn't even sit in maybe the top 10, 15 um, stocks in my portfolio. And it does sort of go to show that 
when it comes to picking individual stocks, it can be really tough because the fortunes of a company can quickly change. You know, at one point, Peloton were absolutely flying, and then literally within a matter of months, their share prices absolutely crumbled. And I think at this stage for me, I'm probably going to see how the company continues over the next few quarters and then make a decision. But one thing I will say is that when you're investing in companies with like non-linear outcomes, you do have to expect this sort of journey. There are going to be big ups and downs. And, you know, Peloton has brought a pretty cool service to market, you know, fitness at home. You can join classes. It's created in some cases a network effect. So who knows? Who knows? But I'm probably tempted just to leave it and see what happens. If it goes to zero, it's not going to have a massive impact on my performance. So we'll see what happens. The next point in my Wealth Journal this week is a portfolio update. So last week I covered Bitcoin on the Wealth Journal. And this coincided with a downturn in the crypto markets. I don't know whether that's a trend actually. I talked about Peloton and they went down. Bitcoin that went down. Yeah, (laughs) who knows? However... I think this was more down to macro factors rather than me covering it on the on the wealth journal. Obviously, there was a bit of um, a bit of a sell off overall in the markets due to this um, this new COVID variant. But as a result of practicing what I preach, I saw this as an opportunity to increase some of my holdings, and this was mainly in the crypto space. As I've mentioned, I've become increasingly bullish on crypto as I continue to learn more about it. And it's the economics of Bitcoin that, for me, make it an attractive investment. And it was only through going and doing more research on Bitcoin last week ahead of the podcast that actually sort of prompted me to think, you know what, I might actually, the next opportunity, um, top up my Bitcoin holdings. And one is because I think that, obviously, the economics of Bitcoin are, are very strong. I also think that institutional investment will continue to grow and get bigger as time goes on. And given that the supply of Bitcoin is fixed as demand increases... And I still think it's early days as institutions are concerned. This will have a positive impact on the overall price. Maybe not in the immediate term. And with crypto, you have to be prepared to ride the volatility. But I think as a long-term investment, I don't think it's a bad option. Again, this is not financial advice. I'm, of course, not a financial advisor. I'm not recommending you to buy Bitcoin or anything. I'm just telling you what I'm doing. I also bought the dip on some of the other altcoins in the crypto space. So some of the other cryptocurrencies. One of these has been Solana, which is a blockchain that has basically apps built on top of it, similar to Ethereum. I've not really covered these different cryptocurrencies yet in much detail, but if you was to hold a crypto portfolio of 50% Bitcoin and 50% Ethereum, I don't think you could go too far wrong. Bitcoin is like the digital version of gold. Ethereum is like the digital version of oil. It's almost like the, trying to think of the best way to describe it. It helps power the crypto world, Ethereum. A little bit like oil helps power our world. It has loads of different use cases and applications built on top of it, like NFTs, like uh, decentralized finance. So think of it like that. But the other altcoin that I've purchased recently has been Solana, which is similar to Ethereum, although it works a little bit faster but it's, I guess it's still in its uh, earlier days, not as popular as as, um, as Ethereum. And then the final one that I recently uh, bought was Polkadot, which is another altcoin, and that allows different blockchains to be able to talk to each other um, to help them scale, basically. And Polkadot was founded by a chap called Gavin Wood, and he helped co-found Ethereum, and he's, he's now working 
on Polkadot. So I assume he's, he knows what he's doing. Again, these aren't investment advices. I'm just telling you what I'm what I'm doing. And I think in some later episodes, I'm going to reveal my crypto portfolio in the future and give you a little bit more of an insight into some of the crypto coins that I hold, the underlying projects um, surrounding them, and yeah, just try and share a little bit more about what they're what they are. The next point in my wealth journal this week is NFTs. Now, last week on my Instagram story, I did a quick um, explanation of what NFTs are. You've probably heard of NFTs being banded around for the most part of 2021. And now more and more brands and organizations are getting involved in the NFT space. So an NFT stands for a non-fungible token, basically something that is completely new, unique, something which is fungible is fairly abundant. Non-fungible is unique. A fungible token, for example, would be a Bitcoin. They're all pretty much the same, same as a pound coin. They're fungible, whereas NFTs, they're completely unique. Now, in terms of NFTs in a little bit more detail, what I explained on my Instagram story was that NFTs are blockchain-based records that uniquely represent pieces of media. And the media can be anything digital, including art, videos, music, GIFs, games, text, memes, and code. NFTs contain highly trustworthy documentation of their history and origin. And they can have code attached to do almost anything a programmer dreams up. One of the most popular features at the moment is code that ensures that the original creator receives royalties from secondary sales. And this is really a key point for creators and artists out there. Previously, if, let's say, Pablo Picasso did a piece of artwork and sold it to somebody, if that person then was to sell it on in the future, then Picasso wouldn't see any of them returns, no matter how expensive his paintings trade for in the future. Whereas with NFTs and basically smart contracts, again, another topic in itself, you can write code to to continue to reward the creator royalties when the asset gets transferred on secondary and tertiary sales which is pretty cool now they use some of the same technology um basically enabled by bitcoin and they can be owned by by anyone really and nowadays they represent hundreds and hundreds of billions worth of of dollars in value in the last few months it's just got bigger and bigger and bigger and the demand for NFTs have actually increased the demand for some of the cryptocurrencies related to NFTs like Ethereum, like Solana and things like that. So the reason why I'm covering them is that they've actually been a tool to grow your wealth. People have bought NFTs. The value of them underlying NFTs has, has gone up recently. Not for all of them, but there's been some very successful and popular ones. And they have become a form of an asset, a digital asset that can be added to your asset column. Now, I haven't invested in NF any NFTs yet, but I am becoming increasingly interested. And I do want to do a little bit more research in terms of, well, certainly before I make my first NFT purchase. But I do have a word of caution when it comes to NFTs. And after doing a little bit of research in the space, I have noticed a huge amount of NFT projects popping up. And I can't see that all of them will return huge huge gains because there's just that many and um i was in london actually last week and i noticed um a guy talking to his friends 
and um, he was he was showing off his NFT collection on the street just to just a couple of his friends, and I did think like it was almost one of the moments where when you just sort of see random people in the street showing off their NFT collections, is that the sort of tipping point? Is that where you know have we got to this stage where there's there's a big bubble and it's about to burst? Who knows? So a word of caution, a word of caution. But what I will say about NFTs, if you just take away some of the, I guess, oversaturation that we can see kicking about at the moment, is that it's still very early days, but also a very exciting technology and new space. And it sort of reminds me a little bit of the dot-com boom back in the 2000s and also maybe back in the crypto world of 2017 where there was a huge amount of new crypto projects popping up some were some were completely worthless sometimes you've just got to cut through that and and look for the the real you know the real winning projects and that is difficult to do now obviously i'm not speaking from experience here because i haven't bought my first nft projects yet but i've almost been laying the foundations for myself to to get ready so i've downloaded a metamask wallet and MetaMask sort of, I think it you know basically works with the Ethereum blockchain, and it's um it's a place for you to um, transfer Ethereum tokens to. It has a it has a, a browser built in that can connect to OpenSea, which is a very popular NFT marketplace, and you can browse all the different NFT projects on there. And then, of course, when you're interested in buying an NFT, you can then convert that Ethereum. Uh, into into an NFT that you that you want. What I will recommend is, and what I'm doing at the moment is, I'm just trying to learn a little bit more about some of the NFT projects out there, um, some of the artists. One thing I would recommend you you look at is um, Twitter, see what sort of following these artists and communities have, and that's been quite the ex, you know an exciting part of the NFT space. It's more than just JPEG images. Some of these projects are building real communities. Um, it's all open source, so people are building on top of the NFT projects as well. There's uh, brand collaborations happening. So I don't know if you saw this week that Adidas have announced, well, they've announced a few things actually in the Web3 world, but they've also um, announced, uh, well, it looks like they're announcing some form of collaboration with some very popular NFT NFT projects that we've seen, such as Board 8 Yacht, Yacht Club. So... It is an exciting space and very much early days and I'm I'm looking sort of on with keen interest into that area. So that's what I will say about NFTs at this point. And my plan is I'm trying to line up a guest for the podcast to come on and talk a little bit more about NFTs in detail and try and answer some of the questions that I have about NFTs. So yeah, fingers crossed I can get that I can get that sorted. The final points in the Wealth Journal this week is basically just to run through some of the different topics that I have picked up on during the week, really. Fairly quick fire. One thing that caught my attention this week was that Jack Dorsey, the co-founder of Twitter, has uh, resigned as the CEO. Um, Still obviously will be involved in the company, but he'll focus his efforts on Square. And Square is a stock that I own. They're a digital payments company. And I'm I'm very very optimistic about Square. I bought the stock a few months back, I think, when the price was around about hundred dollars. It's currently, I think, hovering around the two hundred dollar mark, but it has been as high as two fifty, maybe even a little bit higher. 
And I've always been looking at Square as a, a business that I'd like to rebuy into at some stage. And the price level I've been trying to aim at is around about $200. And we're sort of back near that mark as well. So I see them as a long-term play that they're very highly valued at the moment. But I think that they their moves and uh, towards Bitcoin, they're very much involved in that. I think Jack Dorsey is a, is a Bitcoin maximalist. Obviously, how the, the way that they could potentially integrate Bitcoin payments into Twitter is also very exciting. So that's a, a company that I've been I've been keeping tabs on. Again, not financial advice. Another one was Bitcoin environmental concerns. I did a bit of research this week off the back of the Bitcoin podcast I did last week just around the environmental concerns. And I came across an article from ARK Invest, which I had read a few months back, actually, about how Bitcoin could actually be net positive for the environment. And their thesis around this is actually that energy, certainly renewable energy, is, well... Our usage is fairly intermittent. There can be times where the grid is overloaded with demand during winter, for example. But then there'll also be times in the summer where our energy needs are a little bit less. However, the the sun is still shining, the wind is still blowing. And that's potentially energy that we're not using and therefore wasting. Their theory is that if we was to use renewable energy during them times to mine Bitcoin, we can effectively store that energy in, in money, in digital money. So I thought that was quite interesting and um, I guess a alternative view to, to Bitcoin's energy usage. One thing I just wanted to uh, cover was the um, your old email addresses. There's a website actually called haveibeenpawned.com and that allows you to put in your email address to see how many times it's been hacked or scraped off certain websites. So something worth doing. I'll put the link in the in the show notes. And the uh, final point before I sign off on this week's episode of the Wealth Journal was Virgil Abloh, who sadly passed away on Sunday at the very young age of 41, which is, of course, incredibly sad. Obviously, it's it's always sad when somebody passes away, but when somebody's so young, it's, um, <clears throat> it is really, it's really sad. For those of you that don't know who Virgil Abloh was, he, he was a, I think he was the lead creative for Louis Vuitton menswear, but very famously, he set up his own brand called Off-White, which was like a hype streetwear brand. Very successful. I think he founded that back in 2012. He was an, the CEO of that company, a visionary, an entrepreneur, uh, incredibly popular. And um, yeah, when, when a sort of a famous person dies sometimes, particularly somebody who's achieved so much in their life, it does. It actually made me reflect a little bit as well. Yeah, I think... Um, <laughs> I think a reminder that our our time on this earth isn't isn't promised, and yeah, I don't want to go, <laughs> I don't want to get too deep on the Wealth Journal podcast because essentially that's not what the podcast is about. But yeah, I'm documenting my uh, my my thoughts a little bit here, and sometimes I think we we tend to hold ourselves back a little bit in life, and don't get me wrong, I've I've been guilty of that as well. And I think if you ask most people whether you think that they've achieved achieved their potential you probably see nobody thinks they have I don't think there's always more we can give and sometimes there's always something holding us back I think it was Steve Jobs who once famously said that remembering that you're going to die is the best way to avoid the trap of thinking you've got something to lose and that is quite a quite a powerful reminder so I think for me personally I've been hesitant pretty much every week about publishing an episode of the Wealth Journal podcast but as an experiment, the podcast has been great for me just to, I guess, 
push myself out of my comfort zone, learn about topics that I'm interested in. And I think through through learning and sharing, you act, you actually sort of compound your, your own learning. So it's had it's had huge benefits benefits for me. And I'm, yeah, I'm not saying I can I'm in a position where I can give a huge amount of advice to people, but what I will say is that you know try try something as well that pushes you out of your comfort zone whether it's a, a job opportunity or maybe something in your in your personal life like a fitness challenge or a, a new hobby or it, it might even be a podcast then then give it a go just take a risk who knows who knows what will happen because i guess the biggest risk of all is is not taking a risk and that's it <laughs> um I, there's nothing more i can say on the topic that's everything from me this week as always please reach out let me know what you think of the podcast um, of course i'm available on on instagram nowadays a little bit more active on there so so reach out jay hardy the wealth journal i'm sure you'll be able to find me uh, let me know what you think of the episode as always rate the podcast write a review share it with any friends family that you think could enjoy it and i'm i'm really going to start to try and grow the podcast as much as i can these sort of next these next few weeks i want to want to try and get some more guests on the podcast and just dive into topics a little bit more and and speak to people with with more experience really and you know accelerate my learning and um learning sorry and obviously the learnings for for the listeners of this podcast which is of course you the listener which is which is what i'm doing it for and yeah and you'll have noticed that there was no advertisement this week they um yeah the company decided that they didn't want to pay the uh thirty thousand thirty thousand pound per 30 second ad price that i put on i put on it after the the success from last week but you know this is an exclusive podcast so aim high aim high <laughs> but no of course thank you very much for listening and i will speak to you next week. Take care.